We'll begin with our lighting of the chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Eric. Good morning and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. My name is Mark Strabatz, and some of you may remember me. I moved away from here in January of 2009. Before that, I was a, a member of this church for several years, and it's kind of my home church. I'm now in Kerrville, where I am the called and settled minister. This is a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. Today's worship is on the theme of maturing. Maturing is an interesting concept. Apparently, a lot of people have trouble with it. My business has to do in part with the observation of people, and so today it will be my joy and my task to bring to you some of the observations that I've made about how people handle maturing. I'm grateful to be with you today and for each of our lives that are somewhere along the continuum of the path to maturing. I hope we can examine this subject with an open heart and mind today. The universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of a prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Nobody is able to achieve this completely, but the striving for such achievement is in itself a part of the liberation and a foundation for inner security. Come, let us join together in worship. Please join me in affirming our mission statement printed in your order of service and also up here on the wall. At First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our words for our centering this morning are by Anonymous and it's called The Cure. We think we get over things. We, we don't get over things. Or say, say, we get over the measles, but not a broken heart. We need to make this distinction. The things that become part of our experience never become less a part of our experience. How can I say it? The way to get over a life is to die. Short of that, you move with it. Let the pain be pain, not in the hope that it will vanish, but in the faith that it will fit in. Find its place in the shape of things, and be then not any less pain, but true to form. 
because anything natural has an inherent shape and will flow towards it. And life is as natural as a leaf. That's what we're looking for, not the end of a thing, but the shape of it. Wisdom is seeing the shape of your life without getting over a single instant of it. Widening our circle of compassion. Opening our hearts. Embracing life. Living large. These are expressions of growing out. The theme of our examination today on maturing. Most often I think of these things as unconditional love. Attentive presence. This involves learning to acknowledge allow and open to the inquiry into the experience that each of us has of our lives, of what is, without trying to have some other experience than the one we're in. This can be difficult. Interestingly, there's little in Western experiences of community religion, spirituality, and psychology that help us develop the capacity for unconditional presence. Most of what we learn in school, church, and society tends to send us an opposite message. Setting boundaries, isolating, developing caution and fear. These examples result in the tendency to turn away from the aspects of our lives that are painful, unpleasant or threatening. They teach us that we must be strong and that strength is about having power over. Yet from the East, there's a different lesson. The Tao Te Ching reveals that genuine power is gentle and kind. Chapter 8 begins, The highest good is like water. Water gives life to the 10,000 things and does not strive. It flows in places we reject, and so is like the Tao. Chapter 13 concludes with this couplet. Surrender yourselves humbly, then you can be trusted to care for all things. Love the world as your own self, then you can truly care for all things. That's the Taoist version of the, uh, the golden rule, if you will. Love the world as yourself, then you can truly care for all things. In chapter 22, it says, yield and overcome. And finally, from chapter 43, the softest thing in the universe overcomes the hardest thing in the universe. Now, obviously, there is truth in the teachings of the West and the East, and both and is certainly preferable over the either or. Yet growing out, this quality of maturing that we are exploring today asks the question, how can we expand the quality of our presence, our awareness, our equanimity that's able to respond with openness to unpleasantries wherever and whenever they show off, show up, and it seems like they often show up in our relationship with families, friends, and our neighbors in this world. 
Consider the idea of healing. We all have our scars. I have scars from various injuries that I won't show you today. And they don't go away, no matter how much lotion, massage therapy, or other kinds of healing modalities I undertake. I have to learn to live with them. And part of this process is my recognition of how I was affected. I had to develop a different relationship to my wounds because of them. And every time I see them and I feel them, I recognize what they mean to me. My life has a different shape because of my scars. Healing does not mean the absence of suffering. It means learning from its presence. Recall the final words that Eric shared with us prior to the candle lighting. Life is as natural as a leaf. That's what we're looking for. Not the end of a thing, but the shape of it. Wisdom is seeing the shape of your life without getting over a single instant of it. Have you heard of the practice of Tonglen? It's described in some of Pema Chodron's work. Do you know her? She's a Westerner who received her training in the uh, Kagyu Tibetan Buddhist lineage of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Anybody remember Chogyam Trungpa? He was the wild and crazy master of Buddhism who lived in Boulder, Colorado back in the 70s. And he started, uh, started the Naropa Institute and he started the Shambhala training. There's a Shambhala Institute in South Austin down in 04. He wrote a book that I remember called Getting Unstuck. And um, Children has written a book like that called When Things Fall Apart. Tonglen is an integrative meditation consisting of a breathing practice with thoughts and visualizations and especially feelings. In Tonglen, one visualizes a real condition for which great compassion is needed. Like, I don't care or domestic abuse. And you inhale the feelings of that pain and violence and anger. You literally imagine it and breathe it in consciously and make it as real as possible. And then with the out-breath, you exhale compassion into the situation. This means that one must access genuine compassion in the midst of the distress of these feelings and I must say have, having practiced it for a while it's a very beneficial but very challenging exercise as you can imagine it's the practice of the bodhisattva which is the Buddhist term for the awakened one someone who willingly takes on and transmutes these energies of violence and hate and abuse and war and terrorism and overpopulation and genocide and environmental degradation, and the list goes on and on. And these, all these forms of dis-ease can be part of your personal practice. Anybody ever seen Van Jones speak? He's an African-American man who spoke at Netroots Nation. Go Google YouTube and Van Jones. 
and you will find a community organizer who practices Tong Glen. He refuses to belittle the Glen Becks or anyone else of this world because he feels their situations and he wants them to be loved as much as anybody. Pema Chodron writes, If your everyday practice is open to all your emotions, to all the people you meet, to all the situations you encounter without closing down, trusting you can do that, then that will take you as far as you can go. And then you'll understand all the teachings that anyone has ever taught. Now, I realize this sounds pretty threatening and pretty over the top, and for most of us, we would rather stay with our strong boundaries and not pay any attention to those kinds of things. But I'm just asking you and throwing it out there this morning, can you imagine being that open and willing to embrace? Maturity begins when we can understand the basic distresses and blocks that are at the root of our immaturity, both personally and collectively. I often speak from the pulpit about these things that I find to be true and basic, and perhaps the most basic truth has to do with acceptance, one of our UU principles. No matter where you are and what the circumstances, come to terms and become friendly with yourself in the present moment. Because if you do not accept the present moment, you're not friendly with life. Because folks, life is only now. Some call it the eternal now. And if you're not friendly with life, Emerson said, life can't support you. The nature of our basic distress as human beings is that we continually judge, reject, and turn away from areas in our lives that cause us discomfort, pain, and anxiety. We think if we can just get rid of these areas, we'll suffer less and we'll finally be comfortable. What happens is, however, in getting rid of one set of problems, what do we get? Another set of problems. We simply trade these concerns for another set of concerns that keep us as distressed as before, lending truth to the aphorism, what we resist persists. Changing circumstances isn't the answer. Changing ourselves is. We're all involved somehow in an inner struggle. Otherwise, we wouldn't be on the path of maturing. And it's, a, it's, it's part of our human condition. No one gets a free pass. The inner struggle keeps us inwardly divided, which is antithetical to our nature as individuals. You know, individual means undivided. Think of that in this community of individuals. We are constantly cutting ourselves off from the totality of who we are. Of this totality, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, Within us is the soul of the whole, the wise silence, the universal beauty to which every part and particle is equally related, the eternal one. When it breaks through our intellect, it is genius. When it breathes through our will, it is virtue. And when it flows through our affections, it is love. This is a picture of our true nature. This is our goal. 
What we mostly experience on the way to maturing is emotional programming that contracts our bodies and minds and shuts us down, like a safety valve that keeps us from flowing when we perceive danger or threat. It's a survival mechanism. It's a way of protecting ourselves. Yet in cutting off our anger and our need for love and our openness and our sexuality, we form negative judgments against these parts of ourselves and of these parts of others, and we become disabled and disabling of others. For example, if we didn't get the love we needed as a child, one typical response is to contract our feelings when our need for love arises. We learn that it's simply too painful to feel the rejection of that love, too unfulfilling. And so we can develop an emotional program that even as adults, when we feel the need for love, we just shut down our awareness of it, get distracted, get involved in something else. We become unable to function in the areas of our lives that we have been patterned to be intolerant of. We contract ourselves, we close off. And this may be partly at the root that, of the issue that many of us have for doing things our own way. Not, not that doing things our own way isn't so bad, but doing it myself. This can be 180 degrees from opening our embrace, as Einstein suggests, or these poetic descriptions of Emerson about the soul of the whole. I'd like to say, in conclusion, that there are many ways to observe life. These are some of my observations. Maybe you have others, and I encourage you to express them. For I can only give you a small facet of the gem of life that we each experience in our own totality and wholeness and individuation in this room. I will say that I've been involved with men's work for almost 30 years, and one of the themes we have in there is that you have to do your work, but you can't do it alone. So that's part of what this message about maturing is today that we have community, we have friends, we have family, we have partners, we have spouses, we have children, we have pets, we have nature that help us to feel and act more. So I encourage us to develop an antidote to the emotional programming that causes us to separate. I'm no expert in human behavior. Truth is, no one is. And that's because our true nature, this image described by Einstein and by Emerson, is unbounded and open-ended. And we have yet to experience who we truly are when we're fully alive. As Unitarian Universalists and those inquiring into it, we are committed by covenant to an exploration of our true and unlimited potential as human beings. We want to see evolution continue and to cooperate with it in every way possible. And I can say with confidence that if we wish to mature, we must learn to bring awareness to our false 
selves through our emotional programming. Bring it out into the open. Get it out from under the rug. Our unconditional presence is always here. It lies within the layers created by our busy and judgmental minds. Unconditional love and full presence is, accept is accessible to everyone and is, in fact, our most intimate reality. Whenever we open to our larger self and our unconditional presence, we try to run away from it. Oh, I know that. I don't need that. We want to put things in the familiar box. But our natural opening and maturing and expansive embrace is where we're headed. And truth shows up against the background of sustained awareness of our facades and our programming and our disease. So, sorry for the seriousness of the message today about maturing. No quick fix. Our awareness of our unconscious patterns of our false self needs to become conscious. So that's the clarion call for today. This description that I'm giving you may not fit with your experience. It may not be what your mind wants. But we all know that the world is in a mess. And if you're paying attention, you'll want to be a part of helping us to get through this mess and to see a new dawn in our world. Our own broken and fragile natures are the way to expanding our embrace. So get in touch with it. We need to become vulnerable in order to become mature. The softest thing in the universe becomes the hardest thing in the universe. And I'll paraphrase that by saying, we need to be vulnerable in order to be solid. Sounds like an oxymoron. It probably is. Understanding our false nature and the possibilities of our true nature is a start. It's the beginning of self-awareness and self-acceptance. It provides compassion for ourselves and for others whom we may begin to understand are afflicted with the same condition. We need to heal our separation from ourselves and those we meet every day. This is true for all of us in this world. So, I invite us to join together in this community and these couples, in these lives that we have, in relation to all of life, and open our arms in a wide embrace. Here's a vision. Imagine opening to all and fully accepting your present reality. Imagine transforming your identity into its full and unique part of the interdependent web of all existence. Imagine living so large that even the specter of death itself would appear friendly and as a fearless embrace of the universe, which is not other than you. Our greatest difficulties provide us with our greatest opportunities. Good morning. I'm Nell Newton, and this is your stewardship moment. 
There is a stewardship table out in the gallery with nice folks who can talk to you about pledging. Okay, And if you've already had somebody ask to interview you about your pledging, don't be afraid. Okay, Don't be afraid. The interviews are not long. Ours took about 15 minutes. And we walked away from that time happier. Happier about ourselves and happier about our church. So if someone says, I'd like to interview you, don't be afraid. Now, as many of you know, I am a student. I just started at Meadville Lombard Theological School. That's one of the two UU seminaries in this country. And with hard work and some student loans and the grace of grace, in a couple more years, I'll be a UU minister. And at that time, I will be dependent upon the generosity of a congregation to pay my salary. Now think about that, and you'll realize why I lay awake at night, sometimes at three in the morning in a cold sweat. In the meantime, I'm going through what most seminary students go through. I'm unpacking all of my theological assumptions, and I'm reading a lot, and I'm wondering if that call to ministry that I heard, was that really a call, or was it just an echo? When I'm with my classmates, I see that we all have this kind of excited terror in our eyes. (laughs) We we look kind of like we're strapped into a carnival ride, inching towards some terrifying loop-de-loops that promise to shake our very souls loose. I'm so grateful to be on that ride with those nice people. They're almost as nice as you all. Speaking of whom, you all are the ones who got me in this mess. This church community placed me in situations where I found that when my ego sits down, grace shows up. And you all are the ones who have inspired me to study in the hope of serving our denomination in the future. And this church is where I come when I am feeling bereft and bewildered, when my faith is deflated, I come back here to this sanctuary where I can just sit and breathe and be and be held by you. The next couple of years, I'm really going to need to know that you're here for me and my family. Now, For the past 10 years, my husband and I have been slowly increasing our pledge with the goal of finally being able to give 5% of our total income as our pledge. And last year, we finally made it just over 4%. We were closing in on our goal. But this year, we're having to reduce our pledge back down to just 4% because of my school expenses. Okay? So this is where I need you to step in. Could you cover me that 1%? <laughs> Could you float me just a couple years until I get out of school? 
because now we have modest salaries to begin with. So even if just a few of you made your first small pledge, it would probably make up the difference. And who knows? Maybe your generous giving will become a habit that will lead you into a wild adventure of the spirit. And hopefully your pledge will leave you feeling giddy and alive and certain that you are on the path to more fully becoming your true self. That's what I will hope for, for both of us. As surely as we belong to the universe, we belong to each other. We join in community to transcend the isolated self, to reconnect, to know ourselves to be at home, here on this earth, under the stars, linked to one another in the interdependent web of all life. May we have the hindsight to learn from our experience. May we have the foresight to envision where we want to go. And may we have the insight to love ourselves and each other. Thank you for welcoming me today. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.